Michael Hoover, we're live. How you doing? I'm doing great, David. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, now, I met you at RFK's uh, speech here in Lansing uh, like a month or two ago. That's right. How did that go for you? It went really well. We actually uh, reached out to, to him and his campaign, asked if we could be there, and because we knew he was going to run as an independent. And uh, as it is, we have uh, uh, similar uh, stances on, on certain issues. And so he was welcoming, and so we were able to hand out our literature to over 500 people there there was a lot of people yeah there was a lot of people so you know for us it's all about grassroots and getting the getting my name out there and it did it did well for us that's awesome um now have you been involved in politics prior to running for uh senate no sir no no so what made you want to do this my children and my grandchildren i have four children nine grandchildren and uh when i grew up our country was literally number one in pretty much everything, the health, you know, how healthy we were, mm -hmm. our education, we were number one, our free enterprise, our manufacturing, um, just, you know, we were a great country. And now when I look at the opportunity that is staring in the face of my, uh, even my children are struggling, but I have nine grandchildren and I thought this is not the America that um, uh, was handed over to me. And so um, I got real vocal when they were shutting us down over for COVID, our churches, our schools, our small businesses, while well, they kept big businesses open. And you could just tell there was something mm -hmm. really going wrong, um, the wrong direction. And when I got vocal, I got called out for it and said, uh, why don't you run for governor? So at the time, I started looking at running for governor, but um, we had two things going on. We were renovating two homes on one of our businesses and one of our, another business we were selling. So. Um, Ultimately, I decided not to do that. And then I just spent the next couple of years getting ready to make this run for the U.S. Senate. Wow. That's uh, quite the uh, endeavor to jump into. What uh, what business do you own? So we had uh, four small businesses. Uh, when I went to school, I went to Northwood University. And out of Northwood, okay. I went to work for Dow Chemical. Okay. I got into the plastic side. And then about uh, five years in, I won a big award. It was the Dow President's Award along with the most innovative use of plastics by the Society of Automotive Engineers. That got my name out there globally um, because we changed the front end of the car. We also made it more aer aerodynamic and much more fuel efficient. So after a few years, I recruited myself and started my own company. Wow. Uh, basically doing the same thing, technology and marketing development. And um, one of the highlights from that business was finding out a way, figuring out a way uh, to use plastic waste. Uh, so instead of it going to the landfill, we were able to reconstitute that material from all across the country uh, to the tune of over 500 million pounds Whoa. that we've recycled and back into the automotive industry. So still, instead of filling up uh, Ford Field 3,000 times, it's in our it's in our cars and trucks. So it was a major impact. So we employed thousands wow. of people indirectly from that effort all, all across the, the nation. Uh, the other business, um, um, my wife liked... Um, loves uh, old homes. So I loved old homes. So we got into uh, renovating uh, homes. And then uh, one day I was at our local recycling center here in um, the greater Lansing area, and they were going to shut it down. Um, so I offered that I would just start taking the plastic for free and just to try to help. And then they, a couple months went by and they said, what do you know about cardboard? And I said, I don't know anything about cardboard, <laughs> but I'll be happy to take it. So we started taking that for free. And then a couple more months went by. And what would you do with it? Um, we found a different way to collect it and to uh, take it to local recyclers. And, um, and they were paying substantially a lot more money to local large waste management type companies. And so by us just handling it ourselves, we cut all that cost out. Wow. And then the last, then they asked, uh, said, Hey, how do you feel about taking <clears throat> the business over? So I was like, can I do it as a small business? And they said, sure. So we created a model uh, whereby it was um, not only sustainable, but profitable. And uh, we increased recycling, I think, by about 20, 20 times. So we recycle everything from mattresses to yard waste um, into um, mulch and uh, compost, as well as um, styrofoam uh, that goes to dart. So everything and anything you can think of, we pretty much recycle and, and then 
Um, my oldest son runs that business. He's been taking care of that for, I think, the last 12 years now. Wow. Does a great job. And then uh, we got, um, I was actually on a flight and there was a Delta magazine and, you know, they always have interesting articles. Yeah. It was the top fastest growing, um, most successful franchises in the United States. And number three on the list was a company called Mosquito Squad. And so I was like, I hate mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, we like to be diverse and, you know, to have different challenges. And so we bought in and um, turns out we really uh, was in the health protective service because we were eliminating the diseases that ticks and mosquitoes carry. Right. And we, so we did that for a lot of um, high schools, um, parks and recs uh, all across the state. And then, of course, homes and small businesses. And uh, we did that for almost uh, seven years. And that was one of the businesses that uh, we sold uh, after doing that for a while. So, uh, so those are the four that wow. uh, we jumped in. So we got a lot, you know, a lot of different experiences and done a lot of things. So we've worked in the, you know, largest um, industries in the world to, you know, small, mm -hmm. small operation employing, but we've employed hundreds, hundreds of people directly wow. and then uh, indirectly thousands, you know, because of the recycling we did. Right. That's a, I feel like that's an important part. Um, the recycling aspect, because you, we had talked about being green. Um, we talked about a little bit about RFK's stance on that. Mm -hmm. What is your stance on like recycling and just, uh, the whole green like movement and the push of everything going electric. So on, on I'm curious about that. Cause I, yeah. work, I work at general motors. Okay. And so th that's a huge push right now. I know it is. So on the recycling side of things, I think it's, you know, it's great. And what we, been able to prove is that we can do it profitably where we uh we've actually talked to some municipalities across the state to um as well as out of the state to show them the model on how you can do it right you don't need taxes you don't need government money there's actually a process for you to do this um and do it profitably um in terms and so here's the difference see that was done with creativity figuring figuring out a, a way to do it uh whereas what we're seeing today in the solar and wind industry or the ev industry that's not being done through free enterprise there's some uh, but the government's controlling that and when the government starts to take control of industry we we know where that's going to go just look at our education system right here in michigan mm -hmm. look at social security look at medicare look at medicaid they're all upside down and really negative yeah um and so and it's not being done properly do we want to see much better um, energy in the future? Absolutely. But there are m better ways to do this than to force fit something that is not reliable and it's extremely expensive and actually increases more carbon f than it saves. Right. So <laughs> you just got to look yeah. at the facts. These are facts. And then, you know, you look at lithium. There's not enough lithium uh, in the world to do what they want to do. And then, when you look at the cobalt mines and look at using children, um, it's almost like slave labor to, mm -hmm. to get the cobalt. Uh, it's just very, there's people dying in the mines, Absolutely. And they'll just step over them and keep working. Yeah. It's absolutely so it's so wrong. And I think a lot of us would have, would have taken a step back or three steps back, even with our cell phones, you know? Right. So, because there's a lot of the, uh, this, the same types of minerals in our cell phones. And, and so for us, Natural gas, renewable gas, hydro, um, electric, um, nuclear, the new reactor technologies are, are all great. Um, to think that we can get rid of oil is is just silly and it's misleading to the, the public at large. We, as a global uh, earth, use 97 million barrels per day, Oof. per day. And then uh, the nice thing, oil is actually a magical material. So it, uh, you can take oil or natural grass and turn those into petrochemicals. And that's really the reason why we have civilization today. So that makes your medicines, that makes the medical equipment, that makes the medical bed, that makes the cell phones, that makes the, the earphones that you and I are wearing right now. Uh, it's pesticides, it's herbicides, it's fertilizer. If you want to try to live without oil, you're going to go back to a time where you're you're not living in civilization. So that's the reality. What do you think the push is for the EV industry? Why, why is this administration pushing it so hard? Because it seems like 
the auto executives know that it's not going to work. They know that it's almost an impossible infrastructure to have. Why do you th- why do you think the push is happening? Just like everything else, it's the money. So when you've got um, a lobbying group that's coming to you with billions of dollars uh, to lobby you and to support your campaign to help you get reelected. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, there's also um, in the World Economic Forum, they've went down this path of this. They went from global warming to climate to now it's climate crisis and oh, and the world's going to end. And if you really talk to true, real uh, scientists, um, they'll tell you that you know obviously we we you know, the climate changes every day, but we have seen we see, uh, we have seen some warming, and but it's not all terrible. And there's been a lot of great things that have happened. And if you talk to some of the people that have looked back in maybe in the 1930s, the weather was far worse. And because of oil and gas, we're much more safer. We're much more uh, protected right. because of all the right. all the great things that the, the industry allowed us to do. So it, it's truly about power. It's about control. It's about money. It's not doing what's what's the right and the best thing for everyday Americans. So what do you think the incentive is for the uh, executives at the auto industries to, to, to just play into this? Well, I think there's kind of twofold. One is um, they saw this guy named Elon Musk taking market share. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that got, I got that there. And you know, it's tough. It's tough to say no to billions of dollars coming your way saying, well, okay, maybe we can squeeze some profit out of this. If you're going to hand us over taxpayer money in, in the tune of billions, mm-hmm. we probably can make some money doing this. And um, so I think that's that's part and parcel. Um, and, you know, they're they're at a level where they're multimillionaires, too. Right. You know, if you talk to the union workers, you talk to like a lot of people I used to work with, materials engineers, mechanical mm-hmm. engineers, design engineers. They're all kind of like, God, I hope I have a job, <laughs> you know, in yeah. five, 10 years. So they're yeah. very concerned about it. That's yeah. one thing that, uh, cause we just had a, a contract. We had, you know, we're on strike for I think six weeks. And one of the things that, um, was of concern was the future of AI and EV technology and how there might not be a future for, cause I'm an assembly line worker. There might not be a future for people like myself, Yes, you know, um, because it, it requires a lot less workers. So what is what are these industries going to do in order to educate their workforce? Are they going to, you know, um, pay for them to go to school to so they can learn how to work with AI systems? And, and you know, so that's a huge talking point right now. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think that the free enterprise system can handle <clears throat> handle that best. Um, one of the things that I'll share with you just. Uh, from a larger scale, geopolitically, what's happening in the world that's going to help um, grow more jobs, more specialized manufacturing. I think you'll see some of that come back home. But here's why. If you go on a little history lesson with me, um, back after World War II, we had uh, Bretton Woods. Bretton Woods basically brought all the nations that were historically would fight each other, be it Germany, Italy, and Spain, and England. And we kind of we kind of took control of the situation because it turned out we were definitely the most powerful country in the nation. And the deal was is that look, you guys stop fighting amongst each other. We'll use our navy to protect the waterways, and we'll open up the market for you to start selling your goods here. But you have to join for you have to join with us into NATO, right. and you have to go against the Soviet Union. And so they all did that, and it worked out really well for them. So. It was a great sacrifice um, for the United States of America because a lot of our manufacturing you know, started going out to globalize all over the world. So that was all well and good until the Soviet Union fell. And even after that, now Russia is still a strong country. Uh, obviously, they were pretty weakened through, through the whole process, but they've done okay uh, since then. And But they're no longer the threat that they once were. And so as time has gone on, particularly with Folks like you, I've got eight of you in millennials, right? You're millennial. Yeah. 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 Um, my four children, because they're all married, um, but uh, are saying, look, we're, we're tired of policing the entire world. We don't need to police the whole world either anymore because of what I'm just talking about. The big, big threat is kind of off the cha- off the table. Right. And the other thing that is interesting and that's happening right now, so that's the first thing. So our naval 
uh, Academy, our naval forces can start to come back home and they can patrol our hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, we're also seeing a huge, it's just amazing that we're gonna, what's going to happen in the next two decades, depopulation. Forever, we've seen this population in the world grow, 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 globalization in terms of industry. The jeans I'm wearing has been to nine different countries. Whoa. Yeah. Yours too. Whoa. Mm-hmm. So that's part of, but see what's happened is, is that you globalize, you specialize and specialize and specialize. Think about one worker trying to make your jeans. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen. You right. know, that's, 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 everything got specialized. So as we start to depopulate and the country that's depopulating the fastest is China. China's in trouble. Uh, not only are they in trouble because they're aging out faster than anybody else. So more people are passing than they're having babies. Their ability to replenish or to try to catch back up is not in the cards. It can't happen mathematically because, because there's not enough women. Right? There's not enough women and they're aged out. There's not enough of them that are in their 30, 20s and 30s. Oof. Those are the people that have your babies. Yeah. So um, same thing that happened to Japan um, it, is uh, happening in Russia, Germany, uh, Italy, Spain. France actually is okay. Canada is aging mm -hmm. out. Mexico's okay. Um, and we're okay because the millennials. However, we are at the lowest birth rate we've ever been as a nation. So one of the policies that you'll see on my website is protecting the family is to do a few things. One is to um, no longer penalize low-income mom and dads when they get married. We did this thing back in 64 called the Great American Society. It was it turned out to be what they call it the war on poverty. It truly was an assault on the family. We actually had government goons going door to door, checking to make sure that dads weren't in homes. Whoa. So we had generations of kids being raised by single parents um, because they were getting some assistance. So what we say is don't do that anymore. Let, let mom and dad get together because we know that if a dad is with a mo the mom, he's going to take care of her and he wants mm -hmm. to take care of his kids and we'll see his income rise naturally. The other thing that's so sad to talk about is during that same time, up till that point, we actually have seen the greater lift out of poverty in the history of the United States, or no, excuse me, history of the world from 40 to 64, the low income rise out of poverty was 85%. In the 60s? Up from 40 to 64. Wow. And then when we did the war on um, poverty, I call it what I call the salt of the family, uh, family um, we actually saw poverty come back and we saw masses of people go to jail and prison. Turns out you take away ability to father your children or to be a husband, you lose your soul as a man and you're going to turn to something. So, so that's one of the policies that's near and dear. And the next thing is that millennials, if you do the polling, 85% of them agree that the best, best place to raise a child is with mom and dad. So we, so we say, let's give them some incentive. We give them a tax credit when they get married and each additional year they stay married, we'll increase the tax credit. So we need more families. We need more children. In a, in a in a in a balanced society and to have a good economic progress right you have to have mature workers you have to have younger workers and you have to have children yeah so we have that right now um but we need more children so um so that's that's some of the changes that's going to happen and and so you're actually we're actually going to start to see some of this manufacturing come back home we're going to see it down in the corridor between mm -hmm. mexico and the united states uh, mexico will uh, do a lot of more uh, uh lesser tech if you will we'll continue to do higher tech and uh, you will see more manufacturing come back home so that will help with um, jobs and opportunities that we started this conversation on yeah yeah no absolutely um i had a question regarding the children thing i don't remember what it was now yeah i don't i don't remember i lost that one um yeah so uh, i don't remember I wish I could remember. Anyways, it'll, it'll come back. It'll come back. Uh, so what other what other things are are you running on? I, oh yeah, that's what I was gonna ask. Have you talked to anybody um, that is also running or people that are in the current position that you're in about some of these issues regarding um, the tax credits and and some of those things? So I've talked to voters uh, about them. I actually was um, invited to give a speech in uh, at, on campus marshes. There was an event, and, uh, so it was over 500 people there. So my, you know, my fair question is, and I, I, and I just asked the question, how's this working out for you? You know, you've been voting for Democrats for all these um, decades. How's your education? It's last. Uh, here in our state, we're what, 38th um, in the nation. In, in Detroit, they're 26 out of 26. Um, how's, <laughs> it, yeah, how's it working out for you 
that you get just enough money to get by. Mm-hmm. You have generations of that. Yeah. Um, how's it, how's it working out for you that you don't have no, more job opportunities uh, coming your way? So, you know, they've attacked the family, they've attacked education. And, you know, if you wanted to control somebody, that's what you do. You'd give them just enough money just to get by. You have a really stinky education so they can't lift themselves up. Yeah. And then you would take away the base uh, of the family because uh, in any statistical information you'll look at any study whenever it's a it's a marriage privilege so if you're if you are raised in a home with mom and dad that you have um your achievements in education are much higher your achievements in wealth are much higher so that's why i start with the basic of get the family back together and then let's give them educational freedom so do you get any pushback from that no 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 nobody disagrees no no i actually get a lot of support so like they're like, well, how you can get how you can get us education or freedom because you know the state constitution doesn't allow us to just switch out schools. So there's a bill that uh, I was introduced to back in February when I launched my campaign. It's called the Educational Children's Choice Act (ECCA). Okay. What that does is allows uh, taxpayers as well as business owners to take a tax credit when we're doing our taxes, and so instead of it all going to the IRS, a portion of it can go up to this ECCA fund. It's an independent scholarship fund not run by the government. Okay. And then kids um, from across our state, across the country can apply for scholarship. They can do homeschooling. They can go to a private school and um, then go to um, religious, religious school, a tech um, school, trade school. Wow. So I've had some people on the podcast to talk about um, the concerns of the educational system. And I know that when Biden got in office, that was one of the things that he changed was the curriculum. And that was the concern of this person that I had on the podcast was the curriculum that's being taught in schools. What is, what is your thoughts and how do you plan on changing that? Yeah, the curriculum's not good. Um, and it's like garbage in, garbage out. So one of the issues that we've had in, well, just in all education is in the, in the last 20 years, we had an increase of um, students of 6.5%. We've had an increase of teachers by 7.5%. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. We've had an increase of the administrative bureaucracy of 87.6%. Whoa. So that's where the money's gone. It's not going to the child. So yeah. what we say is that let's redo the organization. First of all, let's get the organization right. And the first thing is that instead of having this bloated bureaucracy, what's the most important portion of, of this organization it's the child and the child will do all the learning if you know if, if you had babies or children just watch how they teach themselves mm-hmm. they teach themselves how to put food in their mouth they figure out how to crawl they start cooing the next thing you know they're pulling themselves up and the next thing you know they're starting to take some steps right they do all the learning we just have to provide great curriculum great um, teachers we have great teachers um, and let them and let them do what they're crafted to do so uh, we need to get rid of a lot of this bureaucracy that's that's getting in the way of, of the learning process. Um, and, and then my job that I'm going for, obviously, is, um, is a federal, but I will have a great um, platform to, to, to speak on. And, and what we talk about there is getting rid of the Board of Education because it's just bureaucracy, just like our Department of Education's bureaucracy. Um, the governor, we all elect. We all go in and say, hey, okay, this is the person. So we're trusting this person to run the state. Mm-hmm. And then what we say is that she or he should be able to um, nominate somebody to run education, but then to have balance, then the House of Representatives or the Senate um, approves and does some background check and says, yes, this is a person that knows what they're doing. They can run the, the uh, education for our state. And then uh, let that go down to your local the more we push things back locally, the better things are going to be. Mm-hmm. Smaller We're, government. Smaller government. But <laughs> the other thing is, is that, you know, education, just like all solutions, need to be local because every single community is slightly different. Like right. if, if you go, if you go up north, it's it's a different community than say maybe the city of Detroit and what they need and and uh, what they're what they uh, need to. Um, in terms of funds and, and the curriculum may want to be the same. Well, the culture but, is different. But too. the culture is different. Right. Exactly. So you, you need to yeah. be and you may have different needs um, in one community versus another. So the more that we can right. we'll let the, the dollars follow the child, the better we're, we're going to be. And, and we got to keep parents. Parents 
cares and loves their <laughs> their children anybody more than the the parents. The parents got to be a big part of this process because they want their kids to get excellence. Yeah. We should be, you know, we're twenty fourth and thirty eighth in math and science globally right now. We should be number one. Yeah. So we should we should set our goal um, to say, look, in ten years we're going to get back. We're going to get back to number one. What is your thoughts on the um, like the sexualization of uh, explicit material taught in schools? It's it's uh, indecent and it's unacceptable. It has no place. You know these kinds of things are always best handled at home between you know mom and dad and child, and they should do that. And every single child's different. I always look at children as masterpieces. I look at all people that way because you're all everybody is independent and you're one of a kind. And so we should look at when especially these very sensitive issues, let the parents do that because those conversations and that type of um, information, one child may be ready to have a different conversation than another at different times. So, you know, it just, it needs not to be in there at all. And when you hear these arguments that talk about uh, that, you know, oh, you're trying to ban whatever. No, what we're trying to do is just, keep us focused on what is critically important for the child to learn to to get it to grow and get their minds to grow we don't we don't need that sexualization in our children is that something that's part of the curriculum it is it is unfortunately in some cases is that something that can be changed easily locally 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 i mean i'm i'm all for getting rid of the department of education i mean i just think that um the best thing we can do is let the dollars stay back at home, push the dollars mm-hmm. back to the, the teachers and the children and, uh, and the parents so that they can make the best decision for their kids. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we absolutely need to, you know, you talk about banning books, try to get a true historical constitutional history book hmm. in, in your curriculum and watch it get banned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And their proper, proper math and proper science you know, all the, what we would, uh, cons- we would describe as classical liberal art, uh, teachings like a Hillsdale K through 12. Yeah. Um, those are excellent schools. But they were just under some controversy, weren't they? Hillsdale, Hillsdale school. Not, not that I know. No, I thought they were. Um, what other things are you planning on changing or, uh, would you like to influence if you were to win? Yeah. So I think the, when you look at when I talk to people all over the state, the first thing I hear is um, we want to elect people that we can trust. We have all we, we continue to elect people, and then they just go there and they're beholden to their donors. Mm-hmm. So instead of actually talking to the the rep, you're talking to the donor, and that's something that people they really want to change. Um, the next thing is is that they want uh, solutions that work for them again not not for general motors getting billions of dollars of tax money right. they, they want they want solutions that actually work for them so um as a government I think the fir- very first thing that we're supposed to do is make sure that we protect people so i i would go to the border and say you know with having seven million people come across our border that we don't really know uh we have not vetted we don't we don't necessarily know what their what their skill level is None of us are against immigration. None of us are. You know, I think everybody loves the idea of the American dream. Why is that so controversial, though? Uh, Only because politically um, they've made it controversial. I mean, you just think about it. I always think about it in my front door, my own home, just like your own home. Would you let anybody in your home? I seem to. (laughs) (laughs) You're special. (laughs) And, um, uh, but you, you know, right. You'd bet them right. and you know, yeah. you wouldn't just let strangers in your, in your home. Well, United States of America is our home. And I think if you just look at it from that perspective, um, and, and you, there is, again, you got to follow the money. There's a reason why the border has been left wide open under Biden. Um, it's not because he's got this big glowing hearts because there there's some big businesses that want cheap labor coming in the door. Is it that, in, or is it the fact that, they know that Biden's the one letting them in. And so they'll have the, the ability to vote for him or like go to these democratic cities and help boost. Well, here in our state, you know, we've heard, heard recently that uh, a lot of the folks that have come into our country and our state illegally 
are going to get driver's license. I seen there was I seen there was a a movement downtown at the Capitol one day, and this lady was saying she was an illegal and she was um, being interviewed by the media, and she was saying that it's it's sad that she can't take her kids to school because she doesn't have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Or, well, she drives her kids to school anyways, but she was fearful of getting pulled over. Like you should be, you should be fearful of that. If you don't have a driver's license and you can't get one, you should be concerned about right. that. And the the unfortunate part of this is that, I mean, with the children, I, that I just, you know, that breaks me because I love, you know, they're the most innocent people amongst us. And, but you, you can't, you can't break laws. You can't, you can't do things that are not um, proper. And that's what's happening right now is that we're just breaking through the United States uh, laws. So I would change those laws. You know, I would, that would be the first thing is to help protect. Again, I'm all for immigration. I'm all for making sure that, you know, we have people that can come to our country. But right now, when people come to the country for asylum, they'll say that they fear their, their home country. Well, I've been to some of those countries that they're coming from. And they're... Well, they're not great. Most of them aren't coming from Mexico. Though. Not anymore. That's pretty much tapped out. That's pretty much done, by the way. Um, a lot of them now are coming from all over the world. Right. Yeah. And so what uh, the, the law that I would put in for place is that, look, if you traverse over a country that's safe and free, you should stay there. And matter of fact, we'll make it a law that says you can't come into the United States and claim asylum um, if you've traversed over like a Mexico or Canada. Canada. Right, those right. are safe countries right so you're, you're coming here for economic reasons you're not actually you're not coming here to to be safe because you can be safe in either one of those countries wasn't there a high percentage of the people that were coming across the border were on the fbi um uh surveillance list several you know now they're coming across both borders north and um, south so i actually yeah, i met governor sanudu out of new hampshire he was telling me uh they've had several hundred that are coming across. Yeah. They, they, they actually caught. So, so to me, I mean, that, that's the first thing is we got to protect. The other thing is that it's really disheartening to see in our communities here in Michigan, out of the top 52 most dangerous cities in the United States, uh, nine of them are here in Michigan. That's unacceptable. So we actually from 92 out of how many, I'm sorry, 52, 52. Wow. Yeah, we have nine and we have the most. Yep. So, from 92 to 2014, we actually seen a 50% reduction in violent crime. At the same time, we had a, a 50% increase of guns per capita. Kind of blows people's minds a little bit. Like, wait a minute, we increased guns, but our violent crimes went down. Well, it wasn't such that it was one for one in terms of logic. Don't, mm-hmm. don't let me, don't, I'm not trying to say that at all. What I am trying to say is though, is that there was a reason why um, it wasn't because of guns, but there was a reason why that, violent crime was going down is because we were doing, we were prosecuting people. We were punishing people. Yeah. We were holding the line and saying, I'm sorry, but if you do something like this, you're going to go to jail today. Uh, the typical person that commits a homicide has already been in jail 10 to 11 times Oof. before they right, do a homicide. So, so they should already be in jail. That's like the uh, Michigan state shooter. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. He should have never been on the, on the streets. You know, he should have, he should have been in jail. Um, and so, I'm all for mental health as well and, and uh, making sure that, you know, people need to be put into mm-hmm. an institution uh, that we do that, for, you know, we, we create those kinds of things. So to me, it, that's where the basics, we just got to protect people, yeah. protect our border, protect our nation, protect our communities. And then the next thing is an economy. Did you want to ask a question? Yeah. What is the incentive to not prosecute people? I don't know. Would it, I mean, because that seems like it seems pretty cynical to say that it seems like it's being done on purpose. I, it's but. hard. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around that you would be OK with putting somebody that's dangerous back on the street because you want to make America not safe. I, I don't know what your I don't know reasons. And they may hide behind the fact of that people should be penalized because they came from tough upbringings or tough, you know, tough situations. That's just, that's just unacceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't, I, it doesn't make any sense to any, anybody listen to this, anybody that you talk to a rational human being just would not, you know, it, why we watch hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people 
go into not maybe thousands now go into stores ransack them pull all that merchandise out and we are allowing this to happen yeah up to nine hundred dollars yeah <laughs> who who and who in their right mind says this is a good way to run uh, a society in a right. country it's it's just unacceptable so well that, that's the first that's to me the first priority the next priority uh is uh an economy that actually works for you so we've seen what that feels like um you know, if you look back at the Trump days, the economy was humming along pretty good. We had the lowest unemployment rates for for all races. Um, your dollar definitely went way further than it does today. Today, obviously, you know, go buy your groceries, go buy how try to buy a house. You know, went from two hundred and twenty, like you talk to millennials, especially younger ones, um, or the next generation underneath you guys. They, they the american dream to own a home is really escaping them because we went from 220 to i think it's like 408 right now uh dollars for a insane. home it's insane when and i they, bought when i bought my house it was a it was a hundred thousand dollars less than what it's valued at right now right so there's a couple of reasons yeah there's a couple of <laughs> reasons why that one is if you uh, print 7.3 trillion dollars and you monetize it <laughs> it's a scary number isn't it yeah but it's a real number so when you just throw that kind of money up, you know, it's it's going to stick. This inflation that's uh, increased, it's not going to go away. You're not going to see your housing crash. You're not going to see unless something significant happened to our economy. But um, all these higher prices are, are going to and it makes it makes it much more difficult. And really what it does is it lowers the standard of living in America. It does. Yep. Every time that we uh, continue to have these uh, spending sprees. So. Until we elect people that are going to go in there and say, look, I don't really care if I get reelected, um, reelected. Um, I'm here to serve the people. And what we have to do is we have to break the backs of all the spending and uh, stop, stop inflation. Because if you don't, you know, right now we're looking at next year, a trillion dollars of inflation. Oof. So it's monetization. So they're going to, they're, you're going to have to, you have to create that, print that money. And that gets in that, puts in the system it just makes it more difficult for people to keep up so that's when i talk about an economy that works for you i start with the fact that we have to undo this the spending mechanism so that we can start to catch up what, what are some of the things that you would unspend on what, what would you take away well i think you know there's so many opportunities for you to do that <laughs> start uh, with ukraine i mean i would go <laughs> ukraine would be a great place to start it really it really would yeah. so um and i and i think that um we overspend in healthcare. We overspend on education um, federally. Uh, we we have so much uh, waste that we we see going on to all these little pet projects that all these congressmen and senators have. Um, and then, but I'm not afraid to say that our military industrial complex needs uh, trimming. Um, we spend more money on national defense than the next uh, top ten countries combined. Whoa. So it's not even close. And we're top heavy. Um, back in World War II, for every one commander, there was um, 6,000 soldiers. Today, for every one commander, there's 1,200 soldiers. Whoa. So, yeah, really, really top heavy now. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the military industrial complex is the, probably the most powerful lobby. Um, so that's one of the reasons why you see us getting into wars that we shouldn't get into mm -hmm. um, because they, you know, they need a war to finance their empire. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that those are areas, you know, that I think that we could uh, benefit in. And healthcare is another one that we spend way too much. We spend more money than any other developed nation in healthcare, yet we're the sickest. <laughs> we live in diabetes, yeah. heart disease, and cancer. So you have to ask yourself, wait a minute, we're spending all this money in education, yet we're, yeah. you know, not doing a good job. We're going to spend all this money on healthcare and we're not doing a good job. Um, what can be done about that on healthcare for the first thing I would just say forcing is, people to be healthy. Yeah. Like even like during COVID, I mean, like that was one of the huge talking, talking points for one of the podcast Kings, Joe Rogan during that time was people being healthy. Yeah. And that's like the number one thing that helped fight against COVID It was. Yeah. So take like, some vitamins and uh, <laughs> right. get some sunlight. Uh, so another really strong lobby is your food factory lobby. So they'll allow uh, ingredients into our foods that other countries won't. And so that would be something that I'd want to clean up is that just just the food factories and the foods that actually that we're eating today. Just saw something today where 
the USDA, and it's always like, who's regulating the regulators? <laughs> but uh, on the USDA, just allowed pink meat to be classified as um, 100% burger. Ooh. And that's the where they take um, some pieces, they treat it with ammonia to get the fat levels down and right. So it's disgusting. One, uh, I'll give you one more and then I'll move on. But <laughs> when you see grass fed, make sure it says 100% grass fed because um, if it just says grass fed, it can be 1% grass fed. Wow. Mm-hmm. If it doesn't say 100%. So cleaning up our food, I think, is a you know really important thing. Um, and then, uh, you know, a much more healthy lifestyle. You, we are what we eat. Food, mm-hmm. food truly is medicine. It's, yeah. it's the best medicine as long as we eat the right stuff. Uh, when you go to a restaurant and you get a menu, you can look and say, well, um, the first thing you may look at the back and say, oh, this is owned by a chef. Oh, that's pretty cool. The chef owns it. Uh, the next thing you may do is you'll say, oh, well, here's all these different options and here's all these different prices. And I, okay, I can see what I want to buy and, and I know how much I'm going to get. Let's relate that to the medical industry. A doctor cannot own a hospital. Does that make any sense to anyone? <laughs> it doesn't. No. No. So they can't. The next thing is, is that let's say that you need um, a regular checkup or you need to um, have, you know, a physical exam or some, as you get older, you, you do more in, intensive um, tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be able to look online and see a comparison of, oh, here's all the different things um, that you can get done. And here's the fees and here's the cost. Here's the total cost. Right. We can't, we don't have to, we don't have that transparency in the medical industry because it changes so much. Right. Well, it's not so much that they don't want to show it to you because if they showed it to you, then you could shop and you could compare. That's what we do with restaurants. That's what we do. If we're going to hire a plumber, electrician or a carpenter. Right. And any of those, a roofer, you know, we say, oh, let's look at how well they've done and let's look at their prices and what kind of materials are they using. So we need that transparency. Um, the next thing is, is that uh, we need, we just need more competition. So if you think about a D, um, a DO or a PA, um, instead of having, uh, forcing the fact that we're uh, um, having an MD be required to do us all these different things, we should just, we should be able to allow that a, a PA can do these things just fine. So that would lower costs. Like what? Um, so, like some- so like, like, uh, I, uh, Oh, okay. Like prescriptions, for example, PA can't, um, uh, but so, but they should, they should be able to even some, um, like documentation they can't do. Yeah, exactly. Like if it were to be like FMLA paperwork or something like that, you have to have a physician or uh, a doctor doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that would, that would, that would, uh, lower costs. And then, uh, we need, um, we need more competition. So for example, um, there are different new um, practices. One of them is a membership. So you pay a monthly fee and then you pretty much can get everything covered. Now, if you have something catastrophic, maybe you have a catastrophic insurance, but everything else it's basic is covered yeah. by your membership fee. We can't write that off. That should, we should allow that to be written off. Uh, MediShare is another one where um, there's a like 500,000 people that belong to this organization or the, and they share their expenses. That should be able to be written off. So as soon as we create more competition and transparency, then people have more options. And of course, they're going to do their shopping too and say, well, I can go get this procedure done for $500 or I can go do it over here. Ask a really good doctor how they feel about um, getting paid the same amount of money as a poor doctor. In Medicare, that's what happens Yeah, because they all get paid the same amount. It doesn't matter how good they are. And so really good doctors, you know, they're not real keen on uh, government health care um and then the other thing is is that medicare they get paid two to three times more than for the same procedure than say um uh, private practice would so again when you take away you know when you have competition you increase the quality and you lower costs and that happens throughout every other industry. It should happen in the healthcare system too. One thing I'm noticing is that you think about things and you talk the way you talk about things, you talk about it from a businessman's perspective. Everything is about like how to make everything transparent for the for the the person wanting wanting the service. And then um and then you you want to operate it like like a business. That's right. That's what it seems like. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm looking at I look at it for you. I'm always looking at it from the end user. Um, so you heard me talk about education and talk about the child. I'm talking about the healthcare. I'm going to talk about the patient. Because that's uh, your customer. That's right. 
that's how I, that's how, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm focused that way. Um, my whole life has been turned towards to serve the customer. And so I think that's what government's here to do is we should be serving uh, the voters and, uh, in them children, you know, obviously, um, of voters. So that's how, I think that's how we should approach everything like that. We should try to do solutions that are going to be best, uh, practices and provide excellence and everything that and, and we do. Mm-hmm. And then we need to get, get government out of a lot of things. Like we're one of the most over-regulated. I think we are the over most regulated, um, country. Like when I travel the world, talking to different uh, countries and there are certain countries that are, you know, highly regula- regulated as well, but we're pretty bad. And I'll give you one example, I'll give you multiple examples, but one that sticks in my mind is the infant milk situation where we had a shortage. Hmm. Well, it's only okay. because we have two primary infant milk producers. Yeah. We're in the United States of America. This was also during COVID too, right? It was, but it, th- and that has, that was unrelated. Was it? Yeah. The, the issue is because <laughs> think about it. There's only two. This is the United States of America. You would think there would be 50 right. or a hundred right. or even more, but because of regulations, it's like a half a billion dollars to get into the business. Well, so good luck for you and me trying to get into infant milk, even though we may have the cleanest and the mm-hmm. most right uh, process. Um, make so it, it eliminates competition. Eliminates comp- and when, when we need more competition. And so, right. so that those are regulations. We went from 18,000 banks after, um, we bailed out the banks were too big to fail mm-hmm. and they created all these regulations. Basically it priced out their competition. So we went from 18,000 banks down to 4,000 banks. Whoa. So we keep doing these kinds of things because the, the more regulations there are, the less competition that, that you have. So we want, we want to undo those regulations again, going back to an economy that, that works, works for you. Right. And then we'd like to see your dollars hold value in my lifetime. The inflation has been uh, cumulatively 2000%. So think about something and, and what that does and, and how that affects you as a worker is that once upon a time, one income easily took care of the home, education, your health care, your car, no problem. Yep. Today, not only do you both parents have to work, you have to go into huge debt. And it's because we've continued to devalue your time. Yeah. That is uh, crazy to think about because my wife also works at G- G- General Motors. So we we both make good money. Yeah. Um, but I think about it like for people that are that are my age, people that I went to school with, people that I grew up with, they don't have jobs like the, like I do. They don't have the opportunities that I've had. And so fortunately for me, I, I'm sitting in a really good position. Um, but for those people, they don't have those opportunities. They're working these dead end jobs, not making any money. Right. They're not able to buy a house and probably won't ever be able to buy a house, especially now. Yeah. Yeah. Because we made the, the cost of everything's so high. My neighbor, um, he just bought his house, same house as me. Um, I think it was worth a little less than mine and they had to have like two or three people go in on it. Yeah. And he has roommates. I'm like, this is insane. It is insane. <laughs> yeah. We're, yeah, we're, we're, we're he's living my, through insane times. Yeah. No, I, and we can, if you, if we harden our money and what I mean by that is, you know, once upon a time we were a tie to the gold standard. And when we undid ourselves from the gold standard uh, and you'll, you'll hear some people argue with, well, there wasn't enough gold. Well, it was because you fixed the price of gold. So you needed to let the price of gold move um, right. so that, that gold didn't become shortage because you'll hear the argument that pushback, but it's kind of a silly argument. So, but if you would have, you would have said that, you know, keep an asset based uh, currency, then your time would be much more valuable. But so pe- people uh, like to hear this other side, which is, well, who did it benefit? Well, it ben- benefited the top 1% because if you, if you have inflation and you own buildings, you own stock, you own assets, mm-hmm. well, your your assets and everything just went up substanti- substantially. Top 1% now has more wealth than the bottom 90%. Oof. It's not a good situation, right? Because of devalued, they've devalued the working people's time. That was one thing we just recently seen a lot of um, during the contract when we were on strike and you could see it openly, the corporate greed and uh how they there it was supposed to be you know a strike for the working class and the working people so people the working class could rise and have a sustainable living that way of life again and 
you could see how the the, the um, CEOs they didn't want to give in to that. They 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 cherish their multi million dollar bonuses every year. Absolutely, and, <laughs> and they also have shareholders too. Yeah, <laughs> but um, so they're trying to protect their the profits for for all of them as well. I'm not a, I'm not against um businesses making money. I want businesses no. to make money. Yeah, but I also want the, the the working class to have a good you know life, and they should they should be able to have one. My argument was that it. If we don't, if you don't fix the whole inflation issue, you're going to be right back where we are in just a few more years. Because you think about um, having, you know, a trillion dollars added to the debt uh, or two uh, every year. Heck, you're, you're just you're just making everything more and more and more expensive, so people can't. You won't keep up. You won't catch up. Is that what it's projected to be at within the next few years? Yeah, fifty trillion dollars, I think, by uh, 2030. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's un it's unsustainable. Uh, we can't we can't do it. So we we're gonna have to make some really tough decisions and um, you know cut back on some some serious expenses. Wow. What else are what else are you planning on doing changing? So we talk about um, Social Security. That's kind of near and dear to a lot of people's hearts, um, and I understand why. I mean, people paid into it for years and years. So my non-negotiables are if you are in retirement or you're near retirement, I'm not sure that near retirement age, but maybe it's five, maybe it's seven, eight years, um, but something in that range. If you're near retirement or in retirement, we're not touching you. Uh, the next thing, as I said, if you, I say is if you're low income and middle income, we're not touching you either. So those guys, that's my non-negotiables. Then after that, we have to say, okay, it goes bankrupt. It's, Social Security turns not totally bankrupt, but it's going to be down like 70, 75% funded in um, nine years now. Wow. So we have to do something. So those are my non-negotiables. Is it then, because there's too many people drawing from it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, not we, enough. We, we turned it, well, we, we turned it into a program that it wasn't intended to be. It was intended to be able to keep people out of poverty. Um, and then it just expanded, expanded, expanded. And now if you've got so many different people on Social Security that shouldn't be on social security. We should call it something else. Yeah. Um, so maybe we need to help those folks out. I'm not, I'm not really sure in that. Um, but we certainly shouldn't have just kept making social security so big that it, it's now it's going to fail. Right. So, but we, so, and I think that's one of the things we have to do is peel back some of the things that are been tacked onto social security that we shouldn't have in there. Uh, like disability should be, I think a separate, um, program. Um, and we need to, that's got to be more strictly tested because there's a ton of people on social security disability <laughs> that, I mean, uh, you've seen some of the stories, you know, uh, the, some of the news people carry is like, well, you're getting disability, but you're out here chopping wood. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, I, and I don't mean to broad stroke that or anybody, but I know those, you know, situations yeah. exist. Yeah. So then, then we have to say, okay, we're living longer. Um, when we created social security, uh, the average lifespan was 60 years old. It's amazing, isn't it? Now yeah. we live. Now we're up to seventy nine. Even though we've come back a little bit uh, since our high point, but um, um, because of that, people can work longer. So we should we should let people that um, want to work that are on Social Security let them work. We we need more people in the workplace. That would help us a, a tremendous amount uh, by letting people that are that are getting Social Security work. Um, the next thing is is you know, it's going to be more your your age realm is that what i would say to you is that there's um a federal program that it's it's mandated but they are allowed to put their money where they want and so they're they're going to get three to four times more money in their retirement than uh, someone like myself would get from social security so we would like for to open up that window so that you can you can self-invest um obviously you want to make sure that we don't go crazy with it what but, do you mean what do you mean self-invest? Well, right now with social security, yeah. you know, it just goes into social security and they have right, right the calculation. I you want mean you to, our money would go to us. Yeah. Yeah. I want, to, I want you to have a fund that you can invest. Maybe you buy into, uh, I want to say any different companies, but some, some very stable John Deere, I'll say John Deere, okay. some very stable <laughs> um, American based companies that, right. that, you know, Hey, this is this country, this company has been around for eons. They're going to continue to do well. And, you know, but, but have a basket of, of, companies that you can invest in that you know that in 20 30 years you know you're going to have a great return on your investment 
So mm-hmm. to me, we've, we've got to make some market-based decisions for the younger folks um, so that uh, when you guys get to retirement age, you have a good retirement. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a huge thing for a lot of people right now is um, retirement. Because, I mean, a lot of companies are going away from pensions and then the Social Security, like you had mentioned, is upside down. It's People are worried about it. They are. And, and rightfully so. So to me, I mean, where, I, where I've kind of started with the framework here, I mean, there's some things we have to work out, but I think it's, it's a reasonable framework for us to work on. And then at some point in time, you know, um, some of the folks on the other side and, you know, folks like myself, we're just going to have to grab a hold of each other and jump off a bridge together and, and get this fixed. How do you anticipate working with other parties and across party lines? I mean, because you're running as a Republican. That's right. And uh, do you think you'll get a lot of pushback on a lot of these different ideas and some of the things you plan on you changing? I would hope not, particularly on the uh, family. I think, you know, people, when they look at their country and they think of children um, and they think about doing what's right, I think that one that, that one has a lot of um, hope to it. I have a Buy America for America Act um, that helps um, do a couple of things. One is to make sure that labeling is really clear. If you go online, like right now, a lot of people are shopping, so in store or online, it's not real clear where that product has made it. And actually, in some cases, they hide it. Mm. So we want to make sure it's law that, you know, made in the USA flag is bright and center. If it's not made in the USA, maybe you buy it from a country that's uh, friendly to our country. So we want to do that. Then we want to incentivize both um, retailers as well as manufacturers to make it in the USA. Uh, and retailers to sell in USA. So we want to give them a tax credit for doing that. So I, those those kinds of things, I think people are going to be on board with, um, especially as we start to see our manufacturing uh, come back home and we start to see a more hemisphere trading um, relationships. Mm-hmm. I can see, like, for example, Mexico, I think they have 135 million people and they're pretty well balanced. And then I can see their economy is going to improve. Um, I think Canada's got like 35 million, so they're not that big, but but um, they're a good trading partner. Mexico needs a Mexico. Um, and I think that probably looks like it's going to be Colombia. Uh, most likely. I, I would love to see us do uh, open up. Uh, I think one of the greatest things we could do for Central America is to help them set up manufacturing. Um, again, they'll do because they're not, you know, they're, they're not great education like us. They don't have a lot of uh, trained people. Uh, love to see that happen. And then opened up railways so that we could trade all the way down. In Colombia, of course, we can ship um, uh, through vessels, uh, which another thing that just kind of hits me home, but I'll, <laughs> I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and and so I think those kind of those kind of acts, I think will be uh, will be supported. I, there'll be pushback on education. There'll be pushback on food, clean you know, cleaning up the food. Um, just because why is that? Why would there be push pushback on that? There's lobbyists, strong lobbyists. Yeah. Big, big lobbyists that will say, no, no, no. We want to continue to sell these chemicals and these products. You know, it's lower cost for us to manufacture these foods. And by us having to take those out, you know, right. we, we won't make the profits. And so therefore we were not going to contribute to your campaign. So that's, a, that's our, our system is broken um, because of, of how this works today. If you have the money, you get elected. And if you, um, and I, I'm, I'm thankful that our campaign got picked up um, and recognized by folks like uh, SoCon, Con, which is a social conservative conference that opened the door for me to meet folks from the Heritage Foundation. So they brought my wife and I, and I got to speak to all their donors and their organization. That got the door open to the National Policy Council, same group of people, very constitutional, freedom-oriented, children-oriented group. Um, and then Club for Growth is another one. And then the Beckett Law Fund, Freedom Works is another one. All I'm the only candidate um, running for Senate Whoa. that all these organizations have had in to meet their donors, talk to their um, leaders, and uh, been you know, part of that. So we just, you know, we're we're fighting. You know, it's a, who who else is running? Oh, there's nine of us. There's nine. Yeah. Wow. And how many Republicans? There's nine. Oh, nine Republicans. Nine. Not just nine on and on the Democrat side. I think they have. I don't know. There's a few. Slocken's number, yeah. She and you know the their party um, is organized behind her already. The donors have organized behind her. Most mm-hmm. of her and a lot of her money comes from East and West Coast. Doesn't come from our state. Whoa. So yeah, 
it's the way it is. And and she'll she'll have unlimited money, unlimited, Oof. right? Because there's uh, different um, organizations and uh, just entities entities that want her to see her in power. She's a career politician, yeah. And um, so that you know she'll do whatever she's got to do to to get elected. Yeah. I mean, she's done a lot of terrible things. You know, she signed a secrecy agreement with the CCP. Um, she read a transgender book online targeted at elementary children. Whoa. She I didn't know any of this. She did. You can look it up. I am jazz on YouTube. It's locking. I am jazz. Isn't that a uh that's a show, isn't it? I don't uh know. It's a I know TLC. it to be, I know it to be a book that she read online targeting um it was targeted towards elementary children. It's an elementary targeted book. She um signed uh or she didn't disclose that her uh, ex-husband was um, getting government contracts on, um, on the military side, and she was on the committee to do so. So there's a lot of different things that that she and she votes actually eight times left of AOC. <laughs> that's kind of I know that's a lot of people are like, are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, go to Freedom Works, and oh. they actually rate the voting by every single member. And you'll see that uh, AOC votes for freedom 17% of the times and uh, Slacken votes for 2% of the time. The Daily Caller reports Democratic Michigan Representative Alyssa Slacken has refused to say what age is appropriate for, chi- for a child to have gender reassignment surgery despite criticizing her opponent for saying he is against it. Why did Slacken make such a big deal out of this issue if she won't answer a basic question on it? Uh... This isn't the book that she read. No, it's in it's on uh, YouTube, and oh, and it's um, I am jazz, and uh, we still have a copy of it, but it it's oh yeah, there it is. Children four to eight years old. We found wow, it. we found it. Oh, yeah, Tom they, Barrett posted it. Okay, that's it. You found it. That won't play it, but yeah, no, you got it. Wow. Um, the reason I, I giggled earlier a minute ago when there's talking people talk about getting rid of uh, oil, um, we uh, we ship seventy five percent of all of our goods on water, and we ship them in those bulk sea containers, and um, we ship two hundred million per year. No oil, no shipments. No. <laughs> Oh my so it's 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 laughable when people talk yeah. about right not having oil. Not, right. not only does it make all the other materials I I talked about right. It's just, it's civilization as we yeah. know it today and protecting us and keeping us healthy and keeping us safe. Yeah, no, it's just you're not going to get that new uh, Mitsubishi uh, whatever from uh, it, Korea. The whole idea of of eliminating oil is insane. It is. And it's not, it's not even real. And that's why when Biden was giving a speech and you heard all the laughter, I don't know if you've watched it. <laughs> Cause <laughs> they goes, cancel well, it out. Cause he goes, well, you know, we're going to have to have it for at least 10 more years. And everybody just started laughing <laughs> out loud because they're like, do you really believe what you just said? Or, or are you just, that's insane. Complete puppet. That's insane. It is. Um, how did you learn about all this stuff? So, uh, I've studied a lot of this over the, my, uh, career i've always been interested in uh economics and of course working globally you know that opens uh, your mind up to understand you know how things work i mean japan uh, is a good example of a country that depopulated and what they what they do um we now in our backyards who do we have toyota Nissan, yeah. right yeah um and it's because the population and they wanted to put their products closer to um to their buyers so i've just studied it um, and so I've, you have to understand the bigger world as well as, you know, the, the deeper, smaller issues. So if you're going to serve and do a good job for the people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope you, uh, are successful. Well, thank you. And uh, I really, I really enjoyed listening to you talk. You are extremely knowledgeable and, um, hope to possibly have you back and see you make it somewhere. I appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for having me on. And then if people are listening and they get a chance to, to uh, Join us at hooverforsenate.com is our website. It's also all of our social media, Hoover for Senate, F-O-R. And if they want to help us and participate, one of the biggest things that uh, the big Republicans, the big Democrats do, they make it really difficult for outsiders to get on the ballot. You have to get 15,000 signatures. Whoa. And so you can, like, 
the big the big guys um that are funded by donors they'll just pay for them uh whereas we're doing it from a grassroots so we've got well into several thousand but um we always ask for people it's like hey if you want to take a couple pages three pages you want to get filled out from friends and family do it we'll send it to you send it back and cool yeah so i mean it's truly having of the people by the people for the people i love that yeah cool and uh how can people how can people get a hold of that? So they they can reach us. Uh, I think that probably the best way is is uh, to hit our website, Hoover Senate. Okay. And there's an opportunity for them to say, "Hey, I want to volunteer. I want to I want to get on board." Or uh, if you want to email us, um, you could. Uh, he'll love me for this. You <laughs> can send it to Angelo A N G E L O at HooverForSenate.com. That's his email. Okay. So he's one of the guys on our on our team that would handle that and make sure they get what they need cool um the link for your website's in the comment or okay. in the show notes so okay great cool thank you yeah. thanks for doing this yeah thanks for having me yep all right see you everybody